Good evening. Good evening and welcome to Above Bar Church. Welcome. It's so great to have you here. Um, especially welcome if it's your first time here, but you're also very welcome if it's your 692nd time here. Welcome to Above Bar Church. Um, this evening is a little bit different. Normally at 6 p.m. we would have a, a church service. Tonight is something we do once a term, though, called Real Lives. So Real Lives is where we uh, interview a different guest. Uh, it's been, in the past, actors, comedians, people with a dramatic story, all kinds of things. Um, but we interview them about their life, their expertise, and why they are a Christian. And uh, tonight, we have uh, the wonderful Simon Edwards, who's going to come up in just a moment. Simon um, is a, spends his life engaging with people's questions about faith. Is there evidence uh, for belief? Is it, is, it, is it rational to believe? What about the different objections we have? That's what he spends his time on. He's recently uh, published a book called The Sanity of Belief. Lovely, lovely um, book cover, I have to say. And uh, so the first half of tonight, I'm going to interview Simon um, about his story and about why he thinks faith makes sense. And then we're going to have a short break, and then there will be Q&A. So this is important. Uh, for the Q&A, we're going to be using something called pigeonhole. Uh, hopefully, a slide's about to pop up, uh, which is going to give you a little more information about that. If you want to ask Simon a question, uh, which he might well answer, you could scan this QR code or go to the website. Info's there. We'll put this info up during the break uh, before the Q&A as well. But please do, um, if you've got a phone or you happen to have a laptop on you, um, pull it up. Ask uh, questions. We welcome your questions. We want to engage uh, with questions. It's so great you're here. And uh, without any further ado, I'm going to welcome up uh, Simon Edwards. Uh, can we please give him a warm welcome? Simon Edwards, so great to have you here. Thank you so much for well, being here. Yeah, thanks, uh, Callum, for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Okay, and you've decided to go. Simon was deliberating beforehand whether to wear this jacket or not mm. to wear this jacket. You've gone with wearing I've the jacket. I've gone with the jacket. Uh, hands up if you think the jacket was a good move. Hands up if you're too polite to say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Nice one. Well, thank you so much for, for coming. Um, Delighted. And there's an Aussie accent coming out there. I Correct. Yes. 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 So uh, I, my wife and I have been in the UK for 10 years now, and we've managed to have three children while we've been here. And so after spending 10 years in the UK, though being in Australia first, I think my English is getting fairly good now. So, um, you know, hands up if you can understand me. Hands up if you can't. Of course, you wouldn't put my, your hand up then if uh, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? But um, yeah. <laughs> No, no. I, yeah, I come from Australia. Uh, so I used to be a lawyer in Australia, uh, a commercial lawyer. And um, it's much to my surprise, actually, that I've, in the last few years, particularly in the UK, after doing some study uh, at the University of Oxford, looking at theology and philosophy, I'm really interested in the big questions of life, um, particularly as a Christian, uh, and I really love engaging with people's questions. So uh, since being over here in the UK, as Callum said, I've had the privilege of speaking regularly in universities and schools and workplaces and churches on all the big uh, questions of, of life and, uh, and what uh, Christian faith might have to say about some of these big, big questions. And along the way, I've got to meet and make some wonderful friends and um, and I've met Callum and got to know Callum over the years as well. And uh, very grateful to be chatting with, with Callum here with you. And you still came. Yeah. Very good of you. Very good of you. Um, and uh, you recently got a British passport. This I, is this true. I, I this did. Because I'm American, as you can probably tell, but have lived in the UK for a long time now. But right. You've been here even longer. Yes. Sorry, this is just little internationals in the room be excited about this. You've gotten a passport. I have That's a passport. Exciting. I, I, am, ah, I am. Well done. Well done. I think that deserves a round of applause. Yeah. 
Yes, of course, don't tell anyone, but um, you have to say whether or not you have a criminal history. And as an Australian, of course, we all have a criminal history. Um, so I just had to not tell the truth about that one. So, but this is not being filmed or anything, is it? So oh, it that's is, fine. Yes. <laughs> no. Um, so basically, you and I could both pass the British history test probably mm. better than yeah. the Brits in this room. William the Conqueror, 1066, and all that. Yeah. 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 Very good. Very good. Um, can I ask you one more just little question about yeah. being an Aussie in the UK before? Yes. get into more nitty-gritty, but just what for you is like kind of the, the thing you found hardest to get used to uh, as an Australian living in the United Kingdom? In the United Kingdom. So let me preface this remark by saying I've come to love the seasons of life that you get to experience here. You know, the four seasons. Where I come from in Brisbane, Australia, it's, it's boring from a seasonal perspective. We have an advertisement there that talks about uh, Brisbane, Queensland being beautiful one day, perfect the next. It's just blue skies and sunshine the whole time. It's, it's boring. But here in the UK, you get to experience the variety of weather in all its, uh, all its grandeur. But at the start, I found uh, the amount of rain and the grey clouds a bit challenging, but now I love it. I actually feel when there's a grey sky and it's a little bit rainy, I feel like it's just a warm blanket embracing me and telling me this is a good place to live. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might like a little more boring in my life. Okay. But yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so have you, ha have you always been a Christian then? No. Uh, no. I, I, um, I grew up in an entirely non-religious household. So, uh, you know, we, we never talked about God. We didn't go to church, obviously. Uh, we never talked about the really big questions of life either. Um, we, if we, we mainly chatted about what was happening at school or sport or the weather, which, uh, you know, if it's just beautiful one day, perfect the next, there's not a lot you can say about that. But um, yeah, no, entirely non-religious family background. I really didn't start thinking about God much until I hit my teenage years. For me, the closest thing to a religion would have been sport, so I was really into sport. I was into cricket and tennis, rugby, athletics, martial arts. So you can imagine I was just virtually every day after school, I was doing some sort of training. Uh, and it wasn't until I was about 14 um, that I suddenly had these, this knee uh, issue uh, called Osgood-Schlatter's disease. I don't know if anyone here is familiar with this. Um, but the doctor said it meant I had to stop all sport for a really long time to allow these knees to, to heal. And suddenly I went from someone who was extremely busy um, to someone who had all this time on their hands. And because you can imagine at the age of 14, you're sort of, you're not a child anymore, but you're not an adult. You're on the cusp of the two. And I think this combination of having, being on the cusp of childhood and adulthood and suddenly having lots of time on my hands to actually think about life that I didn't have before, it, I really did start thinking like, what's it all about? What, what's my life all about? What's my purpose? Why am I here? And I just remember standing in the school playground at lunchtime and thinking to myself, you know, is it true that we just live for 80 or 90 years if we're lucky and then we die? And that's it. Game over. And everything that we've loved, everything that we've achieved, everything that we are just dissipates into nothingness. And I remember standing there and just thinking, if that's true, that's sort of a sad story, and it seems to render life meaningless. And it was, I used to play a lot of video games at that age, and I remember thinking, it's just like a, a video game where no matter how well you play this video game, it's always the same end result every time. Blank screen, you lose. And, and uh, I thought, wow, that just doesn't feel right. And then at the same time, I was being forced to sit in religious education classes. And uh, at, the, at the school that I went to, it was sort of nominally a Christian background, although most of the teachers weren't Christian. It was just the, the history of the school. So they had to teach religious education, and, and they, had, they had to teach about the Bible. And I remember hearing about this story for the first time, because having not grown up in church, I didn't know anything. I didn't know Jesus was the Son of God. I knew nothing. Anyway, so I'm hearing Christianity 101 for the first time. And I started, so basically I'm hearing a different story, which is you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose because somebody wanted you to be here. God. God created everything. God created you. And when you look at the world and you think, 
man, there's lots of things that are messed up about this world. You're right. The Bible says this world is messed up. There's something wrong. That's why God sent Jesus into the world, became a human being, to do something about the mess. And because this God actually wants to restore the relationship with us that's been broken. All right, it's just like Christianity sort of 101 stuff. But the interesting thing was, for me, who was hearing this story for the first time, something inside me intuitively felt like that seems like the right story. It, it, it kind of grabbed a hold of me, but I couldn't explain why. I didn't have any language to explain that. Um, but even though it felt more real than the other story that says, we're just here through a random combination of time plus matter plus chance, live for 80 or 90 years and then we die and then we dust and that's it, game over. Even though it felt more real than that story, I wasn't going to believe it just because it felt better. Um, my mum always said that I would end up being a lawyer one day because I never believed anything anyone told me, including my parents, without any reason or evidence to back it up, particularly if they were trying to tell me something that involved me having to change the way that I was living. So, so I wasn't just going to believe it because it felt good. And because I, um, because I was no longer playing sport and I had all this time on my hands, I thought to myself, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to look into this. Now, this was back when I was 14. So as you can imagine, this is in the dark, dark ages before there was internet. I don't know if you can imagine that, but there was only books. That's the only way you could find out about things. Ask people or read books. So I started going, I didn't know who to ask, so I started going to the library. Now, I was very blessed that I went to a school that had a good library. It had lots of books on philosophy and religion, and so I started reading. I read about every religion. I read about all the different philosophies, um, and that was the beginning of a journey of investigation. Okay. So, and then you, you, you ended up becoming a lawyer, uh, as, you, as you said, at some point. Yeah, so, but, uh, yeah, so actually, um, even before I'd sort of finished school, this journey of investigation, basically, to cut a long story short, um, I, over a period of weeks and months, became convinced through a process of comparison of the different major narratives that were purporting to explain what life is all about, um, that the Christian story about life, the universe, and everything made, to me, by far the best sense of the world around me with its overwhelming impression of order and design and, and, and beauty, as well as the world within me. My sense that there really is such a thing as good and evil, right and wrong. My longings for something more than a purely physical world seemed capable of, of offering. And I, I, remember, um, I remember looking at different explanations of reality and just saying, well, that doesn't quite add up, that doesn't quite, quite add up. But for Christianity, it just seemed to add up every single time. And then, of course, in addition to that, there was the person of Jesus himself. And to me, one of the things that seemed to distinguish the Christian story of reality from other religious stories was that other religious stories were sort of telling me similar things, which was that if I thought the right thoughts, did the right things, did the right religious practices, I could work my way up to nirvana, heaven, salvation, God, whatever it was. But there was this one story saying, actually, there's nothing I could do to work my way up. Um, I was in a way helpless, but God had come down to us through Jesus. And I remember thinking to myself that that went completely against human pride, which kind of wants to do it for yourself. And so it didn't seem like it was a, a human construct or a, you know, a human-made religion because uh, it went against this, this um, tendency to want to do it for ourselves, which was a tendency I could really relate to at the, at the age because I was a really competitive young, young man. Um, so I, I eventually came to the intellectual conviction that Christian faith made the best sense of reality as I experienced and observed it, but I wasn't yet a Christian. Okay. It was just an intellectual conviction at that point. Okay. So you're saying it's not just an intellectual thing then? Uh, being yeah. a Christian. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, I believe this is true. But over the time I come to realize it was mo it's more, 
Christian faith was, is more than just cognitive assent to a set of doctrines. And for the way for me, that it, me that it crystallized was, again, I was in the school playground at lunchtime where all these things seemed to happen to me. And um, I remember I saw a guy who was from Malaysia and he had this little green booklet in his hand. And I knew him. I said, hey, uh, what's that in your hand? He says, and it, really strangely, he just said, here, take it, gave it to me and then just walked off. I thought, that is weird behavior. Anyway, so I read it, and it was basically a little Christian tract booklet explaining the basics of Christian faith. You've probably seen these sort of things. God created the world. We've separated from God. He sent Jesus into the world to bridge the gap that sin has, you know. And, but the big thing was, at the end of the, I took it home, read it that evening, and at the end of the booklet, there was a little diagram that had a picture of a throne and if I can remember correctly, I had a picture of Jay for Jesus on the throne, and then another picture with, uh, of the throne with S for self on the, on the throne, and it was basically saying that becoming a Christian was making the choice to take the, yourself off the throne of your life and allow Jesus to be on the throne of your life, to be your boss, to be your manager, to be your Lord. And so I realized I had a decision to make. Do I actually want to relinquish control of my life as the boss of my life and allow Jesus to be the boss of my life but for me it was actually an easy decision because for the last few months I'd been reading the Bible and reading about Jesus and I'd actually come to I would say fall in love with Jesus not least because I realized just how much he really loved me and so actually I prayed that prayer at the end of the track that just in the quietness of my own room inviting Jesus to be the Lord of my life and thanking him for, for saving me. And when I did that, I just felt the most profound sense of peace that the most important decision I could possibly make, I've made, and that I was in God's hands and he was never going to let me go. Okay. <laughs> and this is when you're a teenager? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I realize it's quite unusual for teenagers to investigate for themselves in a library, but I subsequently have realized it's not unusual at all for teenagers to be searching online or at just anyone trying to work out what is life all about. Because I mean, that's one of the biggest questions that we all face as human beings. Where can we find knowledge capable of equipping us and sustaining us for the reality of life and death? Um, and that actually makes sense of who we are as human beings. It doesn't reduce us to something that doesn't make sense of who we are, but is able to explain what a human being is, what we are in all our fullness, all our goodness and all our brokenness, um, as well as our longings and our propensity to worship and these sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. And so is that then, I guess, that whole journey? Yes. And, and you, you mentioned that kind of, lawyer background, you, you, things need to make sense for you. Is that then what sparks you writing a book? So fast the, forward. Yeah, so fast forwarding. So the, the, the lawyer thing was just something I, I probably thought because my mum said you'd end up being a lawyer. Sometimes these things have a way of having a self-fulfilling way about them. So I did end up becoming a lawyer and I really enjoyed that. Um, and then it was only later that I had the opportunity after being married um, to go and do some study, at, like I said, at Oxford, some theology and philosophy and just get really interested in that. And then, to my surprise, actually, was invited to uh, come and speak at different places. And, and, and so th this book, actually, comes out of a, um, a place of have, do, having done lots of talks and had conversations with people from all walks of life and realizing what are the big questions that people are asking and what are some of the, the doubts and the struggles that people have in believing that there might actually be, be, a, be a God, um, I realized that most people today assume, because of the cultural milieu that we live in, whether it's stuff they might hear from higher teachers or university lecturers or television or whatever, so many people today assume that belief in God is either um, irrational, irrelevant, or possibly even immoral. That's the, the culture that we live in. And having discovered in, the, in, in God um, such joy and peace, I thought, wow, I, I really want to address people who have those starting point assumptions. Mm -hmm. 
and I want to, in a conversational style, through a book, um, address some of the questions that people are, uh, and longings that all people have, and to try to help people see that far from being Christian faith being irrational or irrelevant or immoral, that actually um, belief in God and trusting in Jesus is the most um, uh, sensible, rational, as well as wonderful thing that you could possibly do with your life. And so in the book, what I try to do is I try to address the questions that we all ask as human beings. Uh, why, what on earth am I here for? What makes me special in a world of 7.8 billion other people? Um, why should I do the right thing, the good thing, when it's not always the easy thing. Um, it, it, is truth dead or does it, does it matter? Um, where can I find a love that will never let me down? And how can I have hope in life in the midst of sickness and suffering and death? Just questions that we all face as human beings. And, and I guess what I tried to do in the book is to help people to see that not only does Christian faith make sense of why we ask these sort of questions as human beings, Jesus Christ himself is the answer to our deepest questions and the fulfillment of our deepest longings. And that's what I, I try to help people see in, in the book, in a really gentle way, right, that doesn't assume you're a Christian. I actually have written the book for people who are seeking and who are searching and who may be even just naturally skeptical, like I was naturally skeptical. And in the second half of the book, after looking at those really existential sort of questions, then I drill down to a bit more of the, okay, how do we know this is true? And then I look at the reason and the evidence um, to try to show that, you know, sometimes when something sounds too good to be true, you think, oh, it must be too good to be true. What if we really examine this with, um, with reason and evidence and went deep? in history and philosophy and that sort of stuff. So that's the second half of the book, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And one of the things I appreciate, I mean, uh, Simon's not paying me to say this, and yes, we are friends, but is with your writing, you are, you're, you're, uh, you write like you speak, which is a person you could go to the pub with, but also with a lawyer kind of organization and, uh, <laughs> and clarity of thought, which I really appreciate. Um, you mentioned that about some of the evidence. I mean, yeah. surely, though, faith is just about, it's a, it's a blind step. It's, uh, faith is, by, by almost definition, anti-evidence. But you're saying there is evidence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, one of the common misconceptions about Christian faith is that you have to leave your brain at the door in order to have that type of faith. That, in other words, Christian faith is the sort of thing that you wouldn't believe for your life, except that it's in the Bible, and so you have to believe it. But actually, uh, Christian faith is, um, it's a, faith just another word for belief, and Christian belief is belief that's been time-tested by reality and by experience, by untold millions of people over centuries and including today. Um, and to, that doesn't mean that you don't have to have uh, a degree of uh, faith to become a Christian, but the point is that it's not a random, blind faith that's just totally incongruent with reality. It's a faith that's been time-tested by reality and experience. To give you an example, so a lot of people would say that you have to be perfectly mad to go skydiving you have to be perfectly mad to jump out of an airplane. But the reality is that if anyone's uh, ever got into the special forces, you know, like the Navy SEALs or the SAS, these folk who are highly skilled professionals use skydiving to get to where they want to for certain missions. And even though um, it takes a lot of bravery to jump out of a plane, you would say it has to... It, it takes a certain amount of faith to overcome the fear of jumping out of the plane, a special forces soldier would say it's not a blind faith, it's a rational faith because skydiving has been time-tested by reality and experience. It actually works in the real world. 
And similarly, I say Christian faith is time-tested by reality and experience. It really does work in the real world. So you can, you can come and look at it from the perspective of philosophy and, and ask, does it make sense of the big questions of philosophy? The big questions being, um, what's real? How can we know anything? Is there such a thing as right and wrong, good and evil? Who's a well-off person? What, what's the good life? Christianity has answers that make sense of these questions. Um, and um, there's an awfully, awful lot of good evidence for Christian faith from, for, for belief in God, a creator God, from science uh, and from philosophy and from history. Now, science, just to pick one of them, Science, by its very nature, cannot prove or disprove the existence of God. There's no experiment that you can do to prove that God exists. There's no experiment that you can do to prove that God doesn't exist. But science itself yields a lot of data about the world. And that data provides us with lots of clues that point in the direction of the fact that we're not here by accident, we're here on purpose. I can't go into it in this session, but clues like the existence of cosmic microwave background radiation that was only discovered in 1965 that told scientists that uh, the universe actually had a beginning as the Catholic philosopher George Lemaitre uh, predicted and the fact that the universe had a beginning meant that of the three reasons for why the universe is here, it's either it's always been here or it popped into existence by itself or God brought it into existence, well, it eliminates the first option that the universe has always been here, leaving now only two options. If the universe had a beginning, it either popped into existence by itself or it was brought into existence by a first cause, um, uh, design of God. And uh, of the two, you know, science tells us that everything that's physical and that, and that has a beginning has a cause. Well, we live in a physical universe uh, and it had a beginning. And so it it too makes sense that it also would have a cause. And of course, that cause must be highly intelligent, highly powerful, etc., etc. Or you could look at the, the clues that science gives us from the fine-tuning of the universe, uh, or the overwhelming impression of order and design, or the uh, semiotic information contained in our DNA, which is actually a language, which Francis Collins, who was the um, head of the Human Genome Project, referred to as the language of God. He said, we now have our first glimpse of the language of God, a language previously known only to God. Uh, there's so many clues from science. There are so many Nobel Prize winning scientists who believe in God and whose faith is strengthened by their science. There are many world-class philosophers who believe in God, whose faith is strengthened by their philosophy. There are many world-class historians who believe in the literal uh, well, no one disagrees about whether Jesus really existed. All historians agree that, but there are plenty of historians who also um, agree that the, the New Testament tells us true things about what happened and that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead based on the historical evidence. And so those sort of things, to me, I mean, obviously I talk about these sort of things in the book in a lot more detail, but for me they were really important as well. Like I said at the start, I don't, just because Christian faith makes sense of life so well, both to my head and to my heart, I wasn't going to become gullible and just believe it because it all sort of fit together and it sounded good. I really need to test it through those categories as well. And for a lot of people, they're very similar and they need to hear about the reason and they need to hear about the evidence. But I also think if you're a Christian, it's really helpful to know um, that there's lots of objective reason and evidence for Christian faith because I've met a lot of Christians who they've grown up going to church and they have this kind of sinking suspicion that maybe they've just been brainwashed to believe in Christian faith because that's just what they grew up in. And yeah. they wonder, what if I really did, did test it objectively? Would it withstand um, the test? And I'm here to say as someone who's investigated really thoroughly for myself, Christianity really does stand up to um, the toughest uh, intellectual investigation. Okay. You used some big words there, Simon. But I, I, uh, I kept with you, I think. Yeah. Um, we are That's gonna... very surprising for an Australian, by the way, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very just, unusual. It's surprising as an American, I stuck with you as <laughs> <Yeah>. well. Um, <laughs> we're going to take a 10-minute break, 
during this 10-minute break, we would love for you to uh, send in your questions. So I mentioned it at the beginning. Uh, slide's going to come up in just a second with how you can send in questions if you've got a, a smartphone. Um, please do be sending in questions for Simon, not for me. Um, but if you have questions about some of the things Simon said, about evidence, or about science, or about how do we make sense of this, you mentioned the kind of the objections being uh, the three eyes. What did you say? Yeah, it's that it's either irrational mm. uh, or ir irrelevant or immoral, uh, and and you know, and so that relates to three big questions. Yeah, that you should ask any major world view, any perspective on what life is all about. Uh, so, is it true? Is it good? Does it work? Okay. And that's, that's the sort of thing where it, I think you need to ask when you're investigating. So go to Christian faith and ask, is it true? That's really important. Is it good? Also really important. And does it actually work? Does it make my life more better, fulfilling, make me a better husband, brother, friend, or w whatever? That's also very important. Is it true? Is it good? Does it work? Great. So if you want to send in your questions, please, please do. Uh, we do ask that you keep them somewhat relevant uh, to the evening. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to have a good kind of 25 minutes of grilling Simon. So oh. send in your questions. Okay, we're going to make a start in the Q&A. Please do, do come in, do grab a seat. Do come on in if you're in the lounge. Right, okay. Loads of questions. Um, thank you so much for sending in the questions. And we're going to try and get through as many of them as possible. If we don't get to yours, Simon is going to stick around for a little bit um, afterwards as well. Uh, I'm going to start. It's not the top one, okay. but a, a, just a nice one to start with, okay. just, which is just how are your knees now, Simon? Oh. Yeah. Well, firstly, thank you to the kind person who uh, <laughs> asked that and to all the others who voted. You're obviously a very caring community here. <laughs> well, you know, without... without boasting. Check this out. Yeah, look, I can skip. Oh, look at wow, that, hey? Wow. hey? I could do a hundred of those. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Very good. <laughs> I'm good now. Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Great. Uh, good to hear your knees are doing a lot better. Yeah. Um, and see. So, getting into much, uh, uh, much deeper questions. Um, this question was at the top just a second ago, but it's, it's just around... You, you said you were a lawyer. Was it hard to be a lawyer and a Christian at times from an ethics and morality perspective? Not a lot, but sometimes. I think in most work environments, you'll find yourself in situations where there will be a real temptation to take ethical shortcuts, um, to uh, maybe not tell your client the full extent of uh, the risks of a particular uh, option that you advise them to go down, um, uh, trying to uh, avoid tax is another one, uh, health and safety risks. Uh, now, I wasn't in a situation where I was representing um, people in court in criminal matters. I was actually, it's more, have you ever seen the, have you ever seen the series Suits? It was a bit like that. I was in a sort of a corporate environment um, so occasionally, I had partners asking me not to tell clients certain things that had happened or certain risks because it went against previous advice that we'd given. Um, yeah, and actually, my advice for anyone who's in in the in the workplace who's a Christian is I, I, to say one of the things that you really have to ask yourself is where does your ultimate security in life lie? Does it lie on your ability to look at all the outcomes of if I make this decision or if I make that decision, calculate and always calculate according to what's going to keep me safe, keep me in a job, keep me employed, get me promoted up the chain, or do you have a source of security in your life that is, that is greater than your ability to manage life? And Jesus said um, that... Um, we can trust him with our entire lives. 
he said that uh, if we will put our lives in his, in, in his hands, he will look after us in this life and for eternity. He said he knows the number of hairs that are on our head and not a sparrow falls to the ground that God's not aware of it. Um, it cannot, if God can be aware of these things and look after these things, can he not be aware of you and look after you? And I think there will become times in our lives where we have to make a choice. Do I do um, the right thing? Um, even though it's not the easy thing and it might go against my self-interest? Um, or do I work in what I think self-interest even if it's the wrong thing? Unless you have some sort of security outside of your ability to manage and risk life for yourself, uh, you're going to find that a really tough situation to do the right thing every single time. Uh, for myself, I decided long ago that I'm willing to do the right thing even if it goes against my self-interest because I know that, um, that what we do in this life echoes for eternity and that um, who I'm becoming is more important, who I'm becoming on the inside is more important than career success, promotions, employment, and that sort of thing. Um, from, where I sit, from where I sit as a Christian, I really do believe that the choices in this life that we make echo for eternity and that, and that there are all the battles that are going on in the world at the moment, whether it's the battle of neighbors fighting neighbors or workplace politics or even at the level of nations and nations, these are all symptoms of, the greatest, of a, a greater and deeper battle, which is the battle for good and evil that um, goes on in the heart of every human being. And um, God really wants to be a part of that battle. He doesn't want us to fight it alone. He wants us to lean on him in every aspect of life, doing life with him. Um, and his vision for human life is that this life that we live is not a competition that we have to win, against others in life and we see others as the competition. This life's not a competition to be won, it's actually an opportunity and a privilege to love and serve others and to be loved and served by others. And the workplace is an opportunity to do that as is any place where you um, live and breathe. Amazing, yeah. Um, there's a lot of questions you mentioned about kind of does it make sense, is it good, and does it work, I think is the three things yeah. you said. There's a lot around, is it good? Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask some of these. It's not the top voted question, but I'm thinking the top voted question might get answered with some of these. Um, there's, there's a number of questions around kind of how can God be good when there's lots of violence in the Old Testament? And how do you understand a lot of this stuff in the Old Testament? Um, uh, lots, of, lots of people being killed, uh, God sending a flood, all these things. So how do you make sense of God being good and lots of violence, I guess, in the Old Testament? Mm. Yeah, well, interestingly, violence doesn't just happen in the Old Testament. Violence happens. Um, so uh, one, one, one answer is to say that if the Bible is a, um, is a real book that actually talks about things that happened in human history, uh, that, of course, it's going to talk about violence because violence is part of our history. Um, but something you need to be aware of when you read the Old Testament is not everything that happens in the Old Testament happens because that's what God um, likes to happen. Um, in other words, ev everything that you read in the Old Testament, um, you have to decide, is this just merely descriptive or is it prescriptive? In other words, is this just describing what happened or is it saying this is what ought to have happened? And um, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff that happens and a lot of the violence that happens in the Old Testament is just describing the mess that we are as human beings. It's not saying this is, this is how I want you to act, um, act accordingly. So that's just, a, that's just sort of a general big picture thing. And then it would come down to specifics. Um, specific events that happen in the Old Testament. And we'd have to take each one according to which event in the Old Testament we were talking about. But that would be my biggest thing to say, like just work out, is this prescript, is this dis just descriptive or is it prescriptive? Mm. And uh, there's so much description of the, the brokenness of human beings in the Old Testament 
And one of the big picture elements of the Bible is telling us that that's the reason Jesus came into the world is to do something about the brokenness of humanity. So, you know, in the Old Testament, there is murder, there is rape, there is incest, there is um, awful things. And those awful things still happen today. And that's a big part of what Jesus came into the world to do something about that the 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 evil that's in human beings somehow alongside the good he wants to do something about that but i'm happy to answer specific questions about specific texts as well okay yeah okay um we might come back around to that another one um a, a number of people have sent in questions around uh, so this one says you said christianity is different to other religions but jesus said obey my commandments <laughs> Is it just superficially different um, and fundamentally the same? This question uh, also says something similar. Uh, do all religions point to the same uh, thing, a conscious creator? Um, mm, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, good question. Um, no, um, all religions don't point to a conscious creator. Um, it's A lot of people think that religions are kind of fundamentally the same, just superficially different, but actually if you... If you speak to people who um, study religions or you speak to people from different religions, you quickly realize actually they're, they're, they're superficially the same but fundamentally different. Really briefly, um, every uh, major philosophy or view of life would fit into one of three major categories. Uh, the first category is we could call it um, naturalism. And this is the view that there is no spiritual dimension to life, no spirit, no God, no nothing. Everything comes down to um, unguided laws operating on mindless atoms in a closed system. That's it. It's just all physical. Uh, the second uh, major worldview category, would, we could call it theism. This is the view that, um, that there's, a, there's a God, uh, and this God created this physical world that we inhabit. Uh, and uh, Christianity and Judaism and Islam would fall under this category. And there's a third category w which we could lo loosely call the Nirvana category or pantheism. And, and basically this, this category of worldview says that um, there's no distinction between God and between the physical universe. Actually, just there's no distinction of anything. Everything is one divine oneness. So uh, everything is one, everything is divine I am that tree, that tree is me, you are, you are me, I am you, everything is one, one is everything. When we see different people and different tables and chairs and trees, that's just an illusion. If you can see through the illusion, you'll see everything is one and one is everything. And, and um, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism sort of broadly fit within those three categories. And then if you were just to pick one of those categories, say the theism category, those Christianity, Judaism, Islam all believe in a God. Um, but they have very different uh, views about things. For example, let's pick something that's quite important to Christian faith, Jesus. Well, um, uh, Christians say Jesus was God who, who took on human flesh, the son of God. Muslims would say he's not God, that's totally wrong. He is uh, just a prophet, still to be revered, but just a prophet. Judaism would say neither a prophet nor, nor, nor God. So you can see some really fundamental um, differences um, and what I would say is um, it's really important that we get to know what all the major worldviews have to say about life, the universe, and everything, and that each person has to really investigate for themselves and work out, you know, what, what do you think makes best sense of um, the world around you and the world within you from, uh, from the perspective also of history, and you don't have to leave your brain at the door to believe this or believe that. But every person has to work through these things um, themselves and from where we sit as Christians I would say one thing a Christian cannot do is impose their beliefs on other people because if you notice the way that Jesus worked um, Jesus doesn't uh, try to conquer uh, he's not the sort of king who tries to conquer by force uh, very opposite he laid down his life for us he, he tries to to conquer by love uh, and he came not to um, uh, he, 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 he came to serve um, not be served, and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. Um, yeah. yeah, a few thoughts on that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are so many questions. I'm, 
there's a, there's a number of questions around kind of idea of why does God allow suffering? Mentions mm. like cancer, infant death, yeah. uh, and other things as well. How can, how can we believe in a God and it's good, and yet there's so much suffering in this world? Yeah, um, so that is a really important question. And I would say it, the existence of suffering is probably the biggest challenge to the claim that uh, God is good if God exists, because if God is all-powerful and all-good, wouldn't he do something about all the suffering in the world? Um, I'm afraid to say I don't, I don't have um, a knockdown answer to that really tough question. Suffering is, is a profound mystery. I, I probably just have three or four points I would make, it, make about it. The first one is that um, Christianity actually um, affirms our instinct. When we look at things like cancer and lives lost before their time and tragic accidents and those sort of things... When something in us says the way this world is is not the way it should be, Christianity actually affirms that instinct. And not every worldview does. For example, if you think that there is no divine God purpose behind life, then you might say, as some atheist thinkers have said, that there's this universe that we live in, it's just, it's just there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, you can't say that uh, it's not the way that it should be. You can only say the way that it is is just the way that it is is just the way that it is because there's no rhyme or reason. There's no ultimate purpose that it's meant to fit. It just is. But our instinct tells us actually the way that it is is not the way that it is. Our instinct tells us there's actually something wrong when you see genocide or when you see cancer or whatever, there's something wrong. Well, Christianity affirms that instinct. The, the, the second thing it does is give us some clues. Um, it, it tells us that, um, that God, and people say, okay, why doesn't God do something about it? What we would want God to do would be to click his finger and get rid of the problem of suffering overnight. And that's a mystery why he doesn't do that. But part of the mystery is that God is wanting to bring about good in this world in a way that doesn't get rid of the existence of love in his creation. And part of the requirement for that, part of the essential, one of the essential elements of love is the ability to choose to love or to not, not love. And so in the Bible we understand that God has given human beings an incredible amount of freedom in the way that we live and move and have our being. And so much of the suffering that happens in the world is a result of our freedom exercised for good or for, for evil. Um, but it doesn't say that God's just looked on and he doesn't care about how we exercise the freedom. Unlike many worldviews, it says that God cared so much that he, he actually entered into our world of suffering. And that God in Jesus actually knows what it's like to be betrayed, rejected, humiliated. He knows what it's like to feel hungry. He knows what it's like to be tortured. He knows what it's like to be uh, rejected, spat on, abused, and ultimately killed. So whatever the reason is for God allowing suffering, the cross means that it cannot be that he doesn't love us. Uh, he's entered into our world. And, and so actually what we read in the Bible is not a complete answer to why he hasn't got rid of suffering, but that we've, we know enough about who God is and his character that he asks us to trust him in the period between now and an end time where the Bible promises that one day every wrong will be put right. One day the tears, suffer, uh, tears of suffering will be removed. One day, as um, Sam Gamgee said in The Lord of the Rings, everything that's sad will come untrue. One day one day so there's hope but in the meantime God asks us to trust him and that can be very very hard but just to finish with a little story I remember I, I um as a as a dad of three kids I remember taking my eldest child Grace to the hospital when she was about 18 months old to get her um what's it called uh, vac vaccination her needle and um and I remember my wife volunteered me for this job 
which was very kind of her. <laughs> and, um, and, and one of the reasons it's such a terrible job as a parent is because you have to hold um, your child there and, and comfort them and make them feel safe so that the nurse can come and stick the needle in their arm. And I remember as I'm holding my daughter Grace there, knowing that the needle is about to be stuck into her arm, I was so worried as a dad that she was going to look at me and think that I didn't love her anymore because she would realize that I'm allowing this thing to happen to her. And the reality was, you know, she wasn't old enough for me to even explain what was going to happen. So as I'm looking at her and the needle goes in her arm and her face goes instantly red, thankfully, and she starts crying, but thankfully what I didn't read in her face was a look saying, why don't you love me anymore? But what I did read in her face was the question, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? Given that I know that you love me, why are you allowing this to happen? And the reality is she wasn't of an age in which she could have received. Um, there were reasons for why, but she, at that age, she wasn't able to re re receive. But her faith in me wasn't a blind faith, actually. It was actually a faith based on the evidence of my love for her from the very first day of her life. And, and I've, come to, I've come to a point where it's like, okay, it might just be that this side of heaven, I don't understand all the reasons that God in his omniscience would allow all the different things that he does in this life i i know why he allows things generally you know freedom free will that sort of thing but i can't point to this or this tragedy or this tragedy and say i know why god would have allowed that i know why god would have allowed that and actually the bible is very clear we, we shouldn't say we know why there are the things of god and the things that uh, and we don't know the, the full picture but i do know enough because i know that jesus bled and died for you and for me on a cross that I can trust him in the meantime, knowing that I might not understand in this life, but one day I will understand. One day all will make sense, and one day all that is wrong will be put, put right. And I live without hope, not in a concept, but in a person who knows what it is to suffer. So like I said, that's not a, that's not a lockdown answer. It's, there's so much mystery when it comes to the question of suffering, but I do believe that um, Christian faith has some really helpful things to say because at the end of the day, we don't need a, a better philosophy. You actually need someone who can journey with us and who understands what we're going through. Mm. And I think we have that in the person of Jesus living in us and through us. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks, Simon. I'm, I'm going to try and squeeze in two more questions before we okay. start. To wrap up, right. that's, um, your, that's your polite way of saying uh, no faster no. answers. Oh, no, I'm saying this partially to say apologies to you guys because it's not as thorough or good and a long an answer as probably <coughs> some of these questions really deserve. Sure, but um, there's a couple questions around. I'm, <coughs> I'm going to try and kind of mesh them together. Apologies if in the meshing it somewhat changes your question. There's one around like why is the Bible hard? to understand? Why isn't it more clear? And also around the idea that, well, can't church be then, the, you, you can be used by wrong people who manipulate the Bible, who use it wrongly. Hmm. There's lack of clarity in it, I guess. Um, to, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, interestingly, yeah, my, my um, Many people have said before, have observed the fact that the, the, the Bible is actually accessible um, to children, uh, ex accessible to people who don't have an extensive education. Um, and in some ways, it's very simple um, that Jesus ultimately calls us to uh, love God and love our neighbor. And, you know, sometimes people say we just complicate things overly. But at the same time, and the observation people make is it's, it's accessible to, to infants and babes, and, but at the same time, it, you can plumb the depths of the Bible for years and years and years as a scholar and a theologian, and there's always more to discover and more to discover and more to discover. So I actually think that um, the, the Bible is pretty clear on, um, on the basics, um, but that there's so much depth and richness uh, to it. And, and I would actually be more suspicious of a 
book that was perfectly clear uh, right from the start and I could say, yep, I've totally got it. I totally understand everything about God, everything about human nature, everything about history. Um, I would be suspicious of a religion that, that, that is that um, simple and airtight. Um, and I think it, it's not a coincidence that God chose to reveal himself not in an encyclopedia or a dictionary, um, but in a story or stories written by um, people from all walks of life, kings and fishermen and prophets and uh, um, as, uh, it, across three different continents, uh, in mainly two, but there is a third language in there, Aramaic, three different languages over a period of more than 1,400 years. Um, you, you couldn't have made that up. But if someone was to hand to me a book that was discovered in a hole or up a tree that claimed to tell all the mysteries of life and make sense of everything, uh, I would be very doubtful of that because I said that, that could easily be, have been written by anyone mm. and invented. The Bible's something that couldn't have been invented by its very very nature. So I think God in his wisdom communicated to us in the way that uh, is, is best fit. Yes, do I get frustrated at times that it's not as clear and as airtight as possible on every minute detail? Yep. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm glad that it's not a, a textbook or, or an encyclopedia. Um, and yes, the Bible has been used on many different occasions um, to justify really bad things. Uh, slavery at times. Uh, unjust wars um, uh, but but I think the person of Jesus and his teaching um, and the general thrust of the Bible is the best um, protection against the Bible's own abuse I've come to believe that when people pick cherry pick parts of the Bible to justify evil and horrendous actions that it doesn't so much speak to the inadequacy of the Bible, but it speaks to the, um, the evil of the human heart that it would even use a book that speaks so clearly of God's love for us to justify the most unloving actions and it just reinforces um, how much we really do uh, need a savior. That makes sense? Yeah. But yeah. It's a really important question. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Penultimate question. Uh, and... It's uh, not an easy one to throw at the end, but mm. how do you respond to accusations that Christianity is sexist and or homophobic? Yeah. Um, one at a time and with the person, and normally it begins by asking questions and, um, oh, it, tell me your experience. Yeah, so I like to find out whether someone's formed that view based on um, something they've heard from someone else or whether it's actually informed by their experience of church or having read the Bible a lot. Um, one of the things, it's really hard to give a, like a short answer to each of those two, two topics, but I mean, one of the most important things I think that I want to communicate to everyone as a Christian is that um, the Bible's not off limits to any person um, based on whatever um, group or category you might identify yourself. Um, the Bible is very clear, you know, 1 Timothy 4.10, that um, um, Jesus is the saviour of all people, and 2 Corinthians 5.15, Christ died for all. Like, there's no one uh, for whom Christ didn't die. Like, all's a pretty uh, encompassing category. Um, and the, 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 the question is not, does Jesus want you the question is do you, do you want Jesus like he's made it really clear that um, that he wants to be in a relationship with every single person the Bible is very clear that each and every person is made in the image of God male and female he created them uh, and the Bible is very clear that he that we only flourish fully when we're in relationship with God there's so much that could be said about the difference that um, Christian faith made 
um, our very notion that we shouldn't discriminate against people on the basis of uh, gender, sex, or um, orientation, like that notion itself, historically at least, comes from the impact of Christian faith on our world over, over centuries. And there are lots of historians who talk about, talk about this, um, that our notion of human dignity, that every single person matters, um, and every person's life is valuable, that it didn't come from nowhere, it came from the Bible. It came from the game-changing, probably the, um, the most um, game-changing statement in world history is that each and every person is made in the image of God because prior to the impact of Christianity on our globe, the majority of human beings were somebody else's property. So either they were a slave or they were a woman or a child, which meant that the man of the house like, could do with them as he wanted. Um, or they were a citizen of a land in which the emperor was treated as God and people were treated as the emperor's chattel. And even the greatest rhetoric of ancient Greece, you know, Aristotle believed that women and slaves were naturally inferior beings. In God's eyes, there's no such thing as an inferior being because we're all made in his image. And w will we be, will, will Jesus challenge our understanding of of how we ought to live our lives and that's what, yeah, everyone gets challenged on all sorts of areas, money, ambition, fame, uh, sex, riches, wealth, status. Um, we all, Jesus will challenge us all at some point but um, I think he overcomes those things just by letting us know how much he really loves us. And so what I would say to any person is don't form the view that God's not for you. God is for you 100%. Jesus makes that clear. He wants you. The big question is, um, do you want him? Okay. The start of an answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate that answer, Simon. And final question as, as we're uh, wrapping up this evening, but it's a question I always ask at the end of these interviews is, um, there's different people here tonight. There's some people who are, you know, like, yes, um, I'm a Christian, this is great. Some people here are thinking, this is, I'm really skeptical, this is a load of rubbish even. Uh, there's some people who are like, this is, this is really interesting to me. There's some things you've said I hadn't thought about. I'm still kind of on the fence about Jesus. Mm. And there's some people maybe who are like, have been exploring this for a while and are kind of like, yeah, I, I, I think this is true. I guess giving you the final uh, as our, as our guest this evening, what would you say to those, those different people as we wrap up this evening? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Callum. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, what it, it's been a real delight for me to just come and have conversations, and thank you for the questions. And, um, you know, every single one of you matters to God. Uh, I say that from where I sit as a Christian. God really loves you, and he really cares for you. And he has good plans for your life. Um, for those who are sitting there and you're thinking, um, you know, there's just a whole lot of stuff about this Christian stuff I don't understand. Well, my encouragement to you would be uh, keep coming along to these sort of things. Keep listening. Keep asking questions. Uh, I think that's wonderful that you're coming along and asking questions and trying to understand and make sense of things that matter to everyone. If you're someone who, who kind of think, yeah, I do understand what this whole Christian thing is. I just um, not sure if I believe it my encouragement to you would be what's the thing like what's the thing that you don't believe like what's what's the sticking point or sticking points and keep asking questions about, like identify what is the thing that I'm not sure about that I don't believe identify that and then talk it through with people and don't don't rest until you've really talked it through because if this is true obviously it makes an eternity of difference um, and finally for those of you who are sitting there and you think you know what, actually I do understand it and I do believe it, but you haven't actually uh, made a, a commitment, you haven't crossed the threshold as it were, in all likelihood the thing that's holding you back is probably fear. Nine times out of ten it's fear. It's a fear uh, based around the question, I'm, I'm afraid of what this is going to cost me. I'm afraid of what I'm going to have to give up. I'm afraid of the difference it's going to make to my life. I'm afraid of what other people are going to think of me. 
I'm afraid that I won't be able to stay consistent with it. It's normally some, some sort of fear. And I, I would just say, um, you know, fear is natural, but God's bigger than all our fears. And the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. And so what I would say to people who are in that situation is, Jesus doesn't ask you to get yourself perfect before um, you come to him. He doesn't say you have to have no fear before you come to him. He doesn't say you have to be a morally upright and good person who has your life together before you come to him. He doesn't say you have to have a past that, is, that has no skeletons in the closet before you come to him. He doesn't say that you have to guarantee that you'll never screw up your life after you make a decision to follow Jesus before you come to him. He just says all you have to do is come to him. He's done all the work. He um, lived the perfect life that we could never live, died the perfect death in our place on the cross in order to make sure that there was nothing standing between us and God except our own decision of whether we want God in our life or not. He wants us. The biggest question you have to make is, do you want God? Um, so I guess I'd love to finish just by saying, if there is anyone here who says to themselves, okay, uh, I do understand it, I do believe it, uh, yes, I might be fearful, but I get that it's just, I just need to come to Jesus. Um, well, would it be okay to just finish with a, a prayer, giving people an opportunity to, to make, make that um, commitment in their own heart? Sure. Why don't we do that? Um, I, I'd just love to finish with a, a prayer, uh, it's an easy prayer that just involves, um, it's the ABCs. It's admitting to God that, you know, I haven't lived the perfect life and I haven't honored God as I should. Um, B, um, believe that God um, died on the cross in your place um, and rose again in order to bring you back to him. And the C is the commit, is, it, is choosing to commit. So I'm going to pray a prayer that does that through the words of saying um, sorry and thank you and please. And what I'll do uh, as I just say that prayer slowly, if that prayer of saying sorry and thank you, please, resonates with where your heart is of wanting to commit to God, then feel free to echo those words in your own heart as I pray. And I'd love to finish like that if that's okay. So if you feel comfortable, um, and by the way, Nothing's pressured, so just feel free to relax as I pray. But if you feel comfortable and you want to, uh, please just uh, bow your head and, and close your eyes and, and I'll finish with a, a prayer that anyone could pray who wants to commit their life to God. Dear God, thank you that even though I have not always honored you with my life. You still love me and you want to be with me. I'm sorry that I haven't um, uh, always honored you. Uh, I'm sorry that I haven't always loved other people. But thank you that you died on the cross in my place. And thank you that you rose again to show us that you are God. Please come into my life and please uh, help me to live the life of love that you made me for as I commit myself to following you. With Jesus' help and in his name, amen. Amen. Just to say, if you did um, pray that prayer um, for the first time or for the first time in a long time, uh, I would love to chat to you afterwards, Callum. It was love to chat and people here, but if you came along with a friend, please do tell them. And um, lastly, from me, just say thank you so much for this opportunity. I've really enjoyed chatting and asking uh, questions together. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Simon, so much for coming and being our guest and engaging with all those questions. Can we give Simon a big round of applause? <laughs>